Scripture reading for tonight is Genesis 23. This is God's Word. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and meet with Ephraim the son of Zophar, uh, Zohar for me that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field. Let him give it to me at the full price, as property for a burial among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me, I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron. And Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave, which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is, Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. And our New Testament text is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Amen. Thanks be to God 
for his word. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, thank you for your word. It is the most precious thing this world affords. Nothing more valuable. You have the words of eternal life. Life-giving, life-sustaining, life-changing words. So, Father, we pray that we would have our hearts tuned by your Holy Spirit to hear the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, to hear it and understand it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Abraham's life, this, is, this has been our theme really throughout our study of Abraham. Abraham's life is lived out in the gap between promise and fulfillment. Uh, there's a wonderful little book on the life of Abraham. There's a series actually of books called The Gospel According to the Old Testament. They're little books, very accessible, um, written by different authors. But they pick up a section of the Old Testament and they look at it you know, through especially the lens of the New Testament and, and the coming of Christ. And one of them is called um, Living in the Gap Between Promise and Reality, The Life of Abraham, uh, by one of my professors from Westminster, Dr. Duguid. And it's a great title that really captures the essence of Abraham's experience. His life is a pilgrim life. Um, it's, a, it's a life that's a journey, right? He's been called by faith to leave somewhere and to go somewhere else, but he never really arrives in this life. It's a life that's lived traveling, right? Um, final destination is, is still ahead of him every, throughout, throughout his whole life. And that pilgrim mentality uh, colors all of his experience, colors everything in his story. Um, we can relate to this, right? Um, we also have a sense that we live in the gap between what God promised and what, what, what God has fulfilled. Now, now, there's a sense in which our experience is very different from Abraham's. Um, because, uh, in a sense, we, we, were, we are living in the fulfillment, right? Abraham was looking forward to Messiah coming. And for us, Messiah has come. And so there, there, there's so much that we've already enjoyed, so much that's been fulfilled, Paul says. Every promise, yes and amen in Jesus Christ. right? All those promises fulfilled in Christ. And, and so we've tasted that, we've seen that. And so, in a sense, we're not like Abraham. We're living in the fulfillment in many, many ways, right? Christ has come, saved us from our sins. We, he's, he's been risen from the dead. We're alive in Him. We're seated with Him in the heavenly places. All that glorious truth, already true, already present for us. But at the same time, um, we, 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 we want to hold on to that, but we also want to hold on to that pilgrim mentality. Uh, because, yes, there's so much to enjoy, but there is so much more to come. So much more to come. The seed of the kingdom has been planted, but the harvest hasn't happened yet. As we saw this morning, um, God's word in the New Testament um, teaches us that, that, that the church, right, living between the first coming of Christ and his return, uh, needs to keep this pilgrim mindset, this, this pilgrim mentality here. Uh, Hebrews 4, for example, draws a comparison between the church now and the people of Israel in the Exodus. People of Israel in the Exodus, right? They've been set free from slavery. Uh, wonderful salvation. But so much is ahead, right? The promised land is ahead. They're in the wilderness right now. And they're traveling through the wilderness towards that, that destination. And then the author of the Hebrews is saying, that's what it's like to be a Christian. You've been set free. Glorious fulfillment of promise. Yet, so much 
is ahead of you. And so Hebrews 4.11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest, to enter that full inheritance that's coming. Um, First Peter, another, another good example, identifies Christians as exiles, pilgrims, sojourners um, in, in this life, waiting for God to bring us home. So the Bible teaches we're living in the gap still. And our experience teaches it too, doesn't it? Um, every time we're tempted, every time that you sin, every time you hurt, heartache, see something wrong in the world, experience something uh, painful, some kind of suffering or, or, or offense, it's, it's a reminder to us we're still in the gap. We're not home yet. Um, uh, we're, we're still traveling towards our inheritance. Um, so how do we live well in that in-between space? How do we live faithfully as pilgrims in, the, in that space between promise and fulfillment? And particularly, how do we face the most difficult challenge of all in that, in that space, which is death itself? Death, the loss of a loved one. Uh, the challenge and loss of facing uh, you know, loved ones being taken from us. Uh, and, and then our own death as well. How do we face that as pilgrims? That's what Genesis 23 is, is about. Um, we start with pilgrim grief. Pilgrim grief is our, is our first heading. Genesis 23 opens with a death. Sarah dies. She's 127 when she dies. Uh, the Lord gave her a rich life, a long, full, healthy life. Um, there's no mention of suffering at the end. She seems to have passed away peacefully in her old age. But she's dead. And, and Abraham mourns for her. Um, the text doesn't... doesn't you know, take us right down into the depths of his anguished experience. But we can be sure that, that this man loved his wife. It, it, she was his companion, his friend for so many years. One flesh with him, right? They, they heard the promises of God together. They waited for those promises together. They've been through so much together. And, and now his, his wife is gone. She's gone where he can't follow. Um, Part of, the, part of the point, I think, of, of Genesis, these opening, opening verses of chapter 23 here is, is that, um, that, that death is still present. It's an obvious point, but I think it's an important point. That death is still here. That, that the, the long arm of God's wrath against sin, right? the warning God gave in Genesis 2.17, and the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Right? That, that, that curse that God gave in Genesis 3.19, you'll return to the ground, your dust, uh, and, and dust to dust you shall return. Right? That's, that's still reaching out here in Genesis 23. Um, think of that catalog of, of, of death. The death record of Genesis chapter 5, where you've got all these people listed generation after generation, and every one of them it says, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. Right? Driving the point home that this is a cursed and broken world under the wrath of God now because of man's sin. And, and, and so the, the point is that, that now this same curse has taken Sarah. And so God's grace has not given Abraham immunity to suffering and loss and death and the effects of the curse. As, as one writer has put it, God's grace does not establish a no-fly zone over his people for affliction. Uh, we're, we're very much subject to suffering. Um, even Abraham. Abraham right, he is such a privileged position. He's the father of the, of the Jews. He's the father of all those who walk by faith. He's chosen by God. 
God makes a covenant with him. He's the representative of this new humanity. He's, he's richly, uniquely blessed by God. God calls him his friend. But his wife still dies. And, and he's, he, he doesn't escape that pain and that, that experience. Um, and there's a temptation, I think, right, to look at this and say, well, what good were all those promises? What good was the blessing? What good was Abraham and Sarah's long, patient obedience uh, waiting on, the, on God if in the end they don't seem to be any better off from anybody else? His wife still dies. Right? Do the promises of God really make a difference for him? If in the end, death still seems to win? And the sharp end of that question gets even sharper in our context, doesn't it? Because for us, the promises are even bigger. Uh, and we might, we might expect something, something, something more. Right? We're living after Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. And if he's alive, why, why do we still face that? Right? What difference does it make if, if at the end of the day, we keep getting older and our loved ones also pass away? We, we might say, why doesn't his resurrection make more of a dif- difference already? That, that's the temptation. Um, and when, when we start thinking like that, we're, we're forgetting that we're living in the gap between the promise and the fulfillment, that, that our lives are lived out in the in-between of what God has promised and when God fulfills his promise. We are pilgrims. Um, and and, and what, we're, what we need to remember is that just because we don't yet have the full possession of everything God has promised does not mean that the promises themselves are empty. Um, and so... How do we face this loss and death as pilgrims? What does Abraham do? He looks with the eyes of faith. He looks with the eyes of faith and he, and he grieves, but he doesn't grieve as one without hope. When you look at death through the eyes of faith, what do you see? Well, you don't see a permanent separation. Uh, you, don't, you don't see something that cannot be reversed. Um, you, you don't see the end of something. Uh, you, you see the beginning of, 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 of life, right, in a sense. You don't see death as a cruel tyrant cutting you off from joy and, and life. You see death as a humble servant leading you into the presence of God um, when you look with the eyes of faith. You, you don't see hope crushed. You see hope realized when you look with the eyes of faith at death. Um, so, so looking with the eyes of faith at death, you grieve, yes, as Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, as Abraham weeps at the tomb of his wife, uh, but we don't grieve as those without hope, as First Thessalonians 4.13 says. Abraham's looking by faith here, and he, he knows this fundamental truth. God is the living God, and death is not stronger, and death cannot make void the promises of God, that, that the promises of God are sure and will stand even through death. Um, and we look at death through the same lens. We, we look through the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm the resurrection and the life, he promises. Whoever believes in me shall never die. So, loved ones, look at death with the eyes of faith. See what is true about it which is that Christ is alive and all those who are in him will also live. So grieve, but grieve by faith. Grieve like a pilgrim living by faith. Grieve with hope. That's the first thing we see, how a pilgrim grieves. The second thing we see here is uh, pilgrim priorities. 
pilgrim priorities. Being a pilgrim, living in the gap between promise and reality, transforms how you grieve. It also transforms how you live. It gives you new, new priorities. And this is what we see next in the text. Verse 3 um, shifts us uh, in, into, into unexpected territory, perhaps. Uh, it's, it's, Sarah's died, but, but then the, the bulk of the chapter is really about uh, some, some legal matters, property matters, right? Uh, figure out where the burial place is going to be. And at first it seems, why do we have all this focus on, on this stuff? What, what's so important for us to learn about this? But underneath it, we see a model of, of pilgrim priorities. Um, Abraham needs a place to bury his wife. That, that's the basic thing here. Um, he doesn't own any land in the promised land yet. It's all ahead of him. He doesn't have anything that is his by rights yet. Um, so he has no place to bury his wife. So he goes to the people of the region in, in verse 3. He identifies himself as a foreigner and as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, a visitor. Um, in verse 4, he says, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. He's, he's, he's saying, yes, this is who I am and, and th- this, is my, this is my identity. I'm, I'm uh, living in, the, in a tent I'm a pilgrim and a traveler, but I'm trusting in the land of promise that God will give me one day. Um, so he, in light of this, he asks for some property to bury his wife. Um, the Hittites, the guys in the region, they, they say, well, you can have one of our burial places. Um, they, they gladly offer it to him. They know he's a prince, recognized by God, blessed by God, and so they offer him the, the best plot in the cemetery. Um, but this isn't what Abraham wants. He has, his, he has his eye on this cave, this cave of Machpelah, it's called. Well, what, why? Why wouldn't he say, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll use one of your cemeteries? Because um, he doesn't just want a burial place for his wife. Um, he doesn't just want a place to, to lay her to rest. But He wants a down payment on the inheritance that's ahead of him. He wants, he wants a little slice of the promised land. That, that, that he has the deed and the title to, that he can hang on to and say, yes, this is the down payment, this is the guarantee of everything that's coming. So that even as he buries his wife, he's burying her in faith with a firm grasp on the promise of what's to come. Um, and, and this isn't just a mild preference for him, right? This, this is something that he is, he is uh, convicted about. He's, he's deeply convicted about this. He, he, he is his eyes set on this, his heart set on this. Um, so he asks for this cave, the cave of Machpelah. It belongs to uh, one of the Hittites, um, uh, Ephraim the Hittite. He's willing to give it to Abraham, but he wants to throw in the whole field as well. At first, it seems like Ephraim's being generous to him. Um, but, but then in, in verse uh, 15, he says, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. It sounds like he's, he's being kind of, yeah, it's just a few bucks. Uh, what, what's that between friends? Um, but actually, what he's asking for is more than a year's wages. Right? He's asking an exorbitant price for this piece of property. Um, uh, way overpricing the field. And this, is tip, this is typical of, of a bargaining, uh, the way you bargain in, in the ancient Near East. Uh, he's probably expecting Abraham to bring a counteroffer. But Abraham doesn't. Um, he doesn't want to bargain. Uh, he didn't say, well, how about 250 shekels? Uh, no, he, he says, done. Here, it's yours. Uh, you take this and I'll, I'll take the, the field. He pays the full price. Why? It's not because Abraham just doesn't like to 
wrangle over a deal. I mean, we saw him with Abimelech a few chapters ago, making sure that he got the rights to use that well, right? He's not afraid of, of that sort of confrontation. Uh, it's not that he's overwhelmed by grief and just doesn't want to deal with logistical things right now. It's that he wants this down payment. He's a pilgrim. And, and so, so what, 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 is his, what is his wealth for? It's not for, you know, enjoyment here and now. He's investing in the, in the promise to come. He's giving this money because he is committed to the promise that is to come. One commentator says, it cost Abraham a small fortune to purchase this piece of property. Yet he didn't even think twice about the expenditure because he understood that possessing this grave site served as a down payment on God's promise. Abraham's ultimate priorities impacted his earthly expenditures. Because he's a pilgrim, Abraham knows that what matters is the inheritance ahead of him. And this is what a pilgrim identity does to you. A pilgrim mentality changes how, how you live. It changes your priorities. It changes what you're spending on and what you're investing your time and your resources in. Instead of laying up treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, you're laying up treasures in heaven um, where, where, where it is secure. Um, this is what we're called to as well. To be a Christian is to be a pilgrim, uh, to, to say, heaven is my home, and, and, and I'm going I'm to pour all my resources into that. Uh, I'm going I'm I'm to live my life here on earth with, with, with that goal, first and foremost, dominating my heart. Hebrews describes, um, Hebrews eleven fifteen to 16, describes Abraham and Sarah's faith in this respect like this. It says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So this, this is their mindset. There's a better country ahead, and that's where they're going to give all their effort, all their energy, all their resources to that. That shaped their priorities. Brothers and sisters, seek the better country. Um, give yourself and pour yourself into investing in the kingdom of heaven. Not, not the here and now. Uh, it's so easy for our identity to get wrapped up in accomplishments and, and what, we can, what we can secure and what we can enjoy in this life rather than, rather than pouring everything into what's to come. Um, one, one writer says, we would never invest our time and energies in redecorating a hotel room in which we were planning to spend just a few nights. Uh, that, that, that's the sense, right? Uh, um, it's not wrong to enjoy God's gifts in this life and, and, and uh, to, uh, to, to enjoy them for his sake, but it's wrong to treat them as indispensable. And it's wrong to live in such a way that they are our are, are, are final priorities and our, and our real treasure. We need to have that pilgrim mindset. We're not home yet. So, so keep investing in what is to come, the kingdom that is to come. It's easy to lose focus of these things when things are going well. And it is easy for us to lose hope when things aren't going well, right? We're tempted either way. Things are going well, we're tempted to lose focus on the kingdom that is to come. Things are going poorly, we're tempted uh, to, to lose hope in that kingdom that is to come. And so the final question to ask is, what is it that made Abraham able to live 
a life like this, to live this pilgrim life? What is it that will make us able to live a pilgrim life with the right priorities and that right mindset like he has? And this is our final heading, pilgrim hope. Two things that are filling Abraham's heart with hope and fueling his pilgrim faith here, even in the face of grief. First is this. We, we, uh, we, see, we, we saw this already, but he, he values the down payment of the inheritance. He values the down payment so that even as he's burying his wife, um, he, he's burying her in faith, holding on to the down payment of the inheritance that is to come. As the chapter comes to a close, he, he's burying his wife in this cave, and it's really and truly his now. And this burial site is going to go on to be important. This is going to be where he'll be buried and where, uh, uh, where, where his son Isaac will be buried and, and his, his daughter-in-law, Rebecca, will be buried and his grandson Jacob and his, his uh, grandson Jacob's wife Leah. They'll all be buried here, this little cemetery, which is the down payment of the promises of God. It's a wonderful image, isn't it? A cemetery of the people who walked by faith is the down payment of the full inheritance that is to come. Cemetery is a wonderful little word. Uh, it comes from the Greek. It, it uh, literally refers to a sleeping place. Um, in Christ, that's what death is. It's a sleeping place, right? First Thessalonians 4.14 talks about Christians as those who have fallen asleep. And that's not just a polite way of talking about what we don't want to hear. That's, that's the truth that's, uh, that, that is in Christ. That death is asleep. Your soul goes to be with Christ, but your body rests in the grave till the resurrection, until he comes again. And, and so Abraham's little cemetery here is a down payment of, of that very promise of Christ and the inheritance that's, that's to come. This is Sarah's sleeping place. And one day, Abraham's faith is that the living God is going to come and restore her to life again. And uh, uh, that, that this will be his sleeping place as well. But one day, the Lord will come and restore him to life again as well. And they'll be with the Lord their God forever. And, and from now on, whenever Abraham sees this, 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 little, uh, this little cemetery, he's going to be reminded of what's ahead of him. The glorious hope that is ahead of him. And brothers and sisters, we have a wonderful model in Abraham calling us to value our down payment as well. We have a down payment on the promise. God has given us a down payment to strengthen our hope as we live as pilgrims waiting for all that's still to come. What's our down payment? Better question, who is your down payment? It's Christ, first of all. Alive. Forever. What a wonderful down payment. Christ himself, risen from the dead, raised up in glory. It's not an isolated phenomenon, never to be repeated. Right? That's the first fruits the New Testament describes it. Uh, of the final resurrection harvest. That's the guarantee of our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. 1 Corinthians 15.48-49 says, As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we've borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. You see the guarantee for the Christian. Have you borne the image of the man of dust? Well, absolutely we have. 
just as surely if you're in Christ, you're going to bear His image in heaven. It's the guarantee. His resurrection is the absolute guarantee of your resurrection. That, that's the Christian's down payment. It's already happened. He's alive. And it will happen to you. Your body raised up forever, made new. One of my favorite hymns. Jesus lives and so shall I. Death thy sting is gone forever. He who deigned for me to die lives the bands of death to sever. He shall raise me from the dust. Jesus is my hope and trust. There's another down payment as well for the Christian. It's the Holy Spirit, right? Ephesians 1.14 calls the Spirit the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Jesus rises from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he pours out that same Spirit on the church, on, on his elect. Let that sink in, loved ones. The same Spirit who filled our Lord Jesus with resurrection life and brought him out of the grave is already in you. The same Spirit that, that indwelt the dead corpse of Jesus in the grave and brought him to everlasting life is now been poured out and by faith you've received him. He is in you. The same Spirit. Paul says, Romans 8, 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So the Spirit of resurrection the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of resurrection, and He is in you already. Bringing out newness of life, resurrection life, spiritually, right? Uh, putting sin to death, putting righteousness to uh, uh, vivifying righteousness, and also the guarantee that one day your body will be raised up as well in resurrection life like Christ. And th- th- this is our guarantee. This is our down payment. This is what fuels our pilgrim life. Even in the face of grief. This is how you can bury your loved ones in the Lord and rejoice even as you grieve because you've got a guarantee from God, the risen Christ, the indwelling spirit of resurrection. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt what happens next in the story. Second thing here. Abraham is able to live like a pilgrim in Genesis 23 because of what he learned in Genesis 22. What was the lesson that he learned in Genesis 22? The Lord will provide. He's, he's there on, on, on the mountain um, about to sacrifice his son and the Lord provides a substitute for him. And he says, Yahweh Hira, the Lord will provide. Um, the Lord will provide. Of course, that means he'll provide our our, our, our daily needs. He'll, he'll supply all that we need out of His providence, our shelter, our food, our, our clothing, good, good, all these good things. But His provision reaches much deeper than that, much farther than that. He provides a substitute for us. He provides a sacrifice for us. Because the inheritance that's been promised is an inheritance that we don't deserve. This, this resurrection life, we don't have a right to it at all. We don't, we don't deserve it at all to be called to live as a pilgrim. And, and uh, we, we haven't earned anything but, but wrath. And like Abraham, right, this life that we've lived in the gap has not exactly been uh, always exemplary, right? There have been doubts 
in your life, just like his and mine. Uh, there, there have been failings and, and, and repeat failings. We're repeat offenders before, before our God. Um, so we, we don't deserve the inheritance. We deserve exile. So with, with, with that mentality, right, how do, how do, we, how do we face death? Right? We, we deserve it to be the end of hope and, and the end of life and the end of joy, um, to be bitter and final. Um, and yet, the Lord provides a substitute. He provides a way to maintain his perfect justice and lavish us with his love. He sends his son. He provides a, a substitute, a sacrifice in our place. Um, and, and Jesus comes and he becomes the pilgrim. He becomes the foreigner. Um, he says in Matthew eight twenty, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Even in his death, he doesn't get his own tomb. The hymn, My Song is Love Unknown, puts it like this. In life, no house, no home, my Lord on earth might have. In death, no friendly tomb. But what a stranger gave, what may I say? Heaven was his home, but mine the tomb wherein he lay. So he takes our sin, takes, takes the wrath of God for us, goes into the very depths of the grave for us, doesn't turn back the whole time, walks by faith, trusting in the promises of God, uh, trusting in the glorious inheritance that's ahead of him. Um, and then he's raised up. And he enters that inheritance. And he opens that inheritance for those who will follow him by faith. And so, loved ones, this is how we maintain faithfulness between the promise and the reality. Between the promise that God has given and, and the fulfillment that's coming. We're pilgrims in the pilgrim, our Lord Jesus Christ. Keeping our eyes on Him who, uh, who has gone before us. So, keep your eyes up. Walk by faith. Walk as a pilgrim. Trust in our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the riches of your word and all that it tells us of your grace, your goodness, and your provision of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to walk by faith, following after him. We pray that he would give us uh, strength day by day for this. Lord, we pray all these things in the sure hope that you will soon bring us home. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.